Welcome to Breaking Banks, the number one global fintech radio show and podcast. I'm Brett King. And I'm Jason Henricks. Every week since 2013, we explore the personalities, startups, innovators, and industry players driving disruption in financial services. From incumbents to unicorns, and from cutting-edge technology to the people using it to help create a more innovative, inclusive, and healthy financial future. I'm J.P. Nichols, and this is Breaking Banks. Welcome back to Breaking Banks this week. I am your host, Brett King. Joining me in the hosting chair is Jason Henricks, and uh, we're going to talk about digital adoption, digital transformation, uh, open banking, all that good stuff today. Um, really the core element of open finance and where we're going with that. Uh, the guests on our show today, we have Jin- Ginger Baker, the head of financial access at Plaid. Welcome back, Ginger. Thanks so much, Brett. Great to be here. Jonathan Pitts, who's the head of policy at Plaid. Always happy to be here, uh, even if you're going to give me some extra letters that my name doesn't quite rate, uh, Brett. <laughs> I, I'm one. I'm one of the sad short Johns, not the, not the with the H. No H. Yes. Okay. Sorry, J- John Pitts. My my apologies. No worries. <laughs> and Gareth Gaston, the Executive Vice President and Chief Digital Officer for Platforms and Capabilities at US Bank. Hey, good morning. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. Now, you guys uh, know we've been covering a, a fair bit of open banking uh, stuff uh, recently. Obviously, in terms of a lot of the sort of smart banking wave that we're seeing that has uh, really got a big boost um, in activity as a result of the pandemic, um, open banking and open finance uh, initiatives are, are really critical to this, uh, giving us access to the data that uh, is, is important to give you a lens on your own personal finances or if you're in a company on your cash flow and um, the business of your you know you know how your how your business is operating and so recently we saw an announcement between plaid and US Bank in terms of their collaboration and we thought we'd dive a little bit more into this as a sort of part of the flow of how um, you know we're seeing the the smart infrastructure of 21st century banking starting to emerge. So a fun fact about Gareth, he's a native of Scotland and a former officer in the British Army. Is that right? British Army Reserves, Gareth, is that right? That's yeah. correct, yeah. So um, so uh, tell, tell me about your role at US Bank and how, how you came into that role. Yeah, sure. So I've been with the bank about seven years now. Uh, for the first kind of uh, four or five years, um, I basically ran consumer digital um, uh, contact centers. So it was a role called Omnichannel. Um, and then as we decided to kind of really take digital into a more enterprise uh, capability for the bank, I took on a new role which didn't exist before, which is to really take the best of what we have and uh, and turn it into enterprise assets. So that kind of uh, is on both the technology side. So I, I'm responsible for uh, creating and uh, an ongoing uh, optimization of our uh, core digital technology platforms. So think about things like the actual websites and mobile apps themselves from a, a design uh, from a, a technology perspective, um, uh, sales and onboarding, authentication, communication platforms, uh, all that kind of stuff. And then I'm also responsible for um, uh, agile ways of working. So things from masters and coaches and agile methods, um, and also our user experience design team. So all of the designers and uh, uh, architects and things like that. 
Now, how has the posture around digital changed internally at US Bank, you know, during the pandemic, given the acceleration in mm. use of digital? Yeah, no, it's been it's been really fun actually because uh, uh, the level of intensity. I mean, it was already quite intense, and we already had a, a really big focus on digital. Uh, but what it did really was it, it, it lit up some areas that were, uh, of course, very important for customers. So, for example, you know, our prepaid business, uh, we issue prepaid cards for unemployment for about half the states in the country. Um, and, of course, as many much of the country became unemployed, uh, the need for prepaid cards with unemployment on it really lit up. So, uh, you know, one of the things we did was massively upgrade our uh, uh, we actually took the opportunity um, to integrate uh, prepaid uh, rather than being a standalone app. We actually integrated it into our main mobile app and gave it the benefit of the huge investments that we've made in our mobile app. And then we did things like, you know, um, you know, with the um, uh, payroll protection program, uh, the small business lending uh, managed to, you know, get not only the ability to apply for a loan in real time, uh, but also electronically transfer that over to the government um, for fulfilment, um, which uh, we all did in, in lightning speed. So it was really great to have uh, already have been on a digital transformation journey and have many of these raw capabilities in place, and that helped us accelerate even further um, as customers placed additional demands on us uh, during the pandemic. So it was actually really you know, uh, intense, but fun and rewarding to be able to help out our customers in such a constructive way. Now, I know with Dom and the team and, and, and overall, you guys have been quite progressive in terms of um, you know, digitization, but do you feel like sort of the last vestiges of resistance to this are sort of um, you know, uh, falling away? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I, I don't think that we've had so much of uh, resistance, if you like, as just uh, the, the the normal uh, things that you find in bigger companies around, uh, you know, uh, priorities. I, I think the thing that's interesting is, you know, if we were to wind back, you know, five plus years ago, did, when people said digital, they probably meant a website and a mobile app. And now digital, of course, is just about everything because, yeah, yeah. you know, it's any screen that a customer or an employee touches. And then it's generally anything that falls underneath that that powers that screen or that data. Um, so I think the definition for digital is so much broader than it's ever been. Um, and that actually, ironically, in one way helps because it means that you're prioritizing a bigger pool. Um, in, some, in some cases, I guess it, it, it hinders because it's a heck of a lot more to think about and prioritize. Um, but I generally think it's a net positive that almost everything's basically digital these days. Um, I also think the other thing that's really helpful is it's not a department anymore that's doing digital. It's the whole bank that's digital. Um, and we certainly see that, um, you know, our, our, you know, our small business team, our consumer team, you know, there's digital initiatives and, and, and fixed capacity funded teams in every business line now, which is great to see. You know, um, I, um, I always say this when I'm doing board presentations and stuff like that on digital, I say, you know, um, you guys have a head of digital. That's really good. But you know what? Um, you know, Apple doesn't have a head of digital. Tim Cook is the that's head right. of digital. Amazon yeah. doesn't have a head of digital. Jeff yeah. Bezos is the head of digital. And so, that's right. you know, that's understanding right. that I think is is sort of critical. Yeah. Hey, John and, and Ginger, last time you joined it, joined us, we talked about open finance and we talked about changing regulation around that, um, and particularly sort of the emergence of smart rails. You know, and um, you know, sort of this infrastructure that we're going to need for the 21st century. 
Um, I, I, I noticed in the announcement that you jointly made with US Bank in respect to open finance, you talked about secure open finance very explicitly. So maybe, John, do you want to cover off, you know, what's the difference between when we talk about open banking and open finance and the fact that you guys decided to, to talk about secure open finance specifically? Sure, Brett. So let me just start really briefly on sort of the difference between open banking and open finance and the time we find ourselves in. And then I think Ginger should go in depth on the sort of secure open finance because she did the hard work with Gareth and U.S. Bank in really uh, bringing this to reality. So, you know, I think as we talked about last time, this transition from open banking to open finance is one from a consumer has access to their bank account information and sort of this one directional flow of uh, information from banks to fintechs to open finance, which is a consumer having access to all of their financial information and really the ability to control and direct it uh, wherever they get the most value out of it. And I think one of the things that was most striking to me now almost uh, 18 months into this pandemic and this forced acceleration of digitization and the digitization of open finance strategies uh, for banks and fintechs and everyone were the comments by the acting comptroller of the currency two weeks ago at his first testimony in front of Congress, where he said, digitization is here. And it's no longer a question of putting the toothpaste back in the tube or sort of adjusting slowly to meet the demands of consumers. It's here and every bank and regulator needs to adjust to that reality as quickly as they possibly can, because that's what the future looks like. And so to me, uh, having made that sort of psychological policy move into, yes, open finance is what we are actually talking about. And we're not talking about it as something in the future. We are talking about it as something in the present, made it all that more critical for a deal like this between Plaid and US Bank to not just move things forward to open finance, not just move things forward for Plaid's customers, US Bank's customers, and indeed our shared customers, but move them forward in a way that made the consumer safe and secure in that transition to an open finance environment. And Ginger, maybe you can sort of get into some of the details about how we were able to do that and why this partnership was so special in not just launching that open finance world, but launching a secure one. Sure, happy to talk about that. Um, we are certainly on this crusade now, right, to move to an API-based ecosystem for how data is exchanged between parties. Um, it's super important for us to ensure that people actually have access to the information that they need and are able to permission their financial data to the applications that they want to take advantage of. Um, and that, that need and that realization has become ever more clear during the pandemic. And what made the um, partnership with US Bank so interesting was that we were able to do that in a way that we think really facilitated more secure exchange of data in addition to driving transparency and, and just awareness for people about where their information has been permissioned and giving them opportunities and tools to take action on that information. So at the very simplest level, what we've done is we've exchanged the credentials that people use to log in to Plaid and to US Bank systems with tokens, right? So that's the big, the first switch there was that we did a token exchange with US Bank. And that just helps 
helps us to eliminate credentials from the ecosystem and protect people's data. The second piece of this in the transparency um, arena was syncing US bank and Plaid systems so that US bank customers, whether or not they're accessing their information through US banks site or Plaid site, um, Plaid portal, can see all of the different applications to where they have permissioned their data and then take action on that information. If they've decided they no longer want to share their information with a particular application or they've forgotten that they may have shared their information with an app, they can delete that or take action on that. And so those two pieces were, were very fundamental in driving that foundation of security, transparency, and awareness for people. Well, let's dig into, because I don't know that most people think beyond the surface of why it's so important to get to this credentialless environment and what the, this idea of tokenization, why that becomes important. Then, Ginger, let's go into the second pillar right after that. But, you know, Gareth, you know, from the customer perspective and, you know, you with the voice of the customer, you know, in mind, why does this credentialless move make such a big difference? Yeah, I mean, we as you know, we can probably all relate to. I think we live in an era where people don't really think about it that much. You know, we give away half of our life's personal information so we can play a quiz on Facebook, for example, right? So without without thinking much about it. So it's not really, you know, I think first of all, um, I think when when customers are interacting with uh, financial apps, whether whether it's US Bank's app or whether it's a, a fintech app that's in the app store. Uh, there's probably a built-in level of trust that um, if they're going to give you some information, you're going to keep it safe. And, you know, even with the best will in the world, we know that that isn't always the case. And so uh, what we were really uh, concerned about was we know that, we, first of all, we fundamentally believe that the customer has the right to access their information wherever they want to access it. So if they want to sign up for a fintech service uh, through any given app store, then we want to help facilitate that. Um, but to Ginger's point, and we, you know, we want to do that in a safe and secure way where they don't even have to worry or think about the fact that their credentials are stored somewhere else, anywhere other than um, US Bank in this case. Um, so really it's about continuing to empower the customer and give them access to the information they want to use it in the way that they want to, whilst at the same time keeping them safe and secure without them having to really think about it. And then it, building on exactly what Ginger said, it's not a one-time uh, set it and forget it type thing. People's changes, people's preference change over time. So giving them multiple ways that they can look at and think about where they've shared their information and make a different decision whenever they want to uh, was really important with this as well. Uh, you know, I think the one thing I've always sort of had a question in respect to my mind, I'll put this out to the group, is obviously this permission-based particularly with GDPR in Europe, you see, you know, a, a lot of effort being made into permissioning data access. But the more and more um, partnerships and, uh, um, you know, uh, permissions that we need to put in place, just managing that is going to come become complex over time. You know, uh, Ginger, John, do you guys have a view of how a, a, an average customer with multiple banking and other relationships, healthcare providers and so forth, that have to start thinking about what data goes to which provider, how we manage that complexity in the future? Yeah, so um, I think the obvious answer to that, but it doesn't make it the easiest, e easy answer is that wherever the consumer can best exercise that control in that consumer's sort of own personal life is the right way to do it, right? So uh, 
the the cleanest way to sort of solve for that complexity is actually what Plaid and U.S. Bank have been able to accomplish here in this partnership, which is if the consumer wants to go to U.S. Bank and see all their connections and then not just see them, but exercise control over them, say, I don't want to share this data anymore. I would like this data deleted. They can do it at U.S. Bank. They can also do it at Plaid, right? And that's really the critical piece is that the infrastructure we are building is neutral as to the consumer's choice, giving the consumer more control over how their data is being managed. And Gareth said something earlier that I just want to double down on because I think it's it's really critical here in thinking about not just this partnership, but the overall growth of the ecosystem was, you know, consumers have have gotten used to sharing a lot of information with social media companies uh, in a way where sort of the benefit back to them and the trust they have in that is somewhat unclear. And I'm, I'm probably being slightly generous in saying somewhat unclear. Um, I think one of the things that was a solid foundation and, and will be a solid foundation for this partnership is understanding that trust is the core of the business of U.S. Bank, and it's also the core of the business of Plaid. And financial services is, in fact, different. Uh, and the expectations on financial services data are different. That means that you need to have that sort of consumer transparency, trust, and control as a shared responsibility between every company uh, that's managing that process and one where that consumer first mindset and consumer trust obligation mindset are front of mind uh, for both of you. And I think that's something where we were able to really align with US Bank on that approach uh, because we had that same attitude as to sort of what we were building and what our responsibility was for our shared customers. I just want to provide a little bit more detail on why this partnership was so unique, because it is really the first time that Plaid Portal, which is a product that Plaid has in beta right now that allows a user to log into my.plaid.com and see all of their applications and where their data has been permissioned. It's the first time that we've kept that in sync with a partner like US Bank. Um, and US Bank has a US, USB My Controls, which performs a very similar function, and Gareth can speak more to this. Um, but we have 4,500 applications, right, that um, we, we allow people to have access to through Plaid systems, which is a lot, right? That's a lot to manage. And so for people to have access on two different systems that say can stay continually in sync was a first for the industry. Um, in addition, another big first um, for Plaid was that we deleted U.S. Bank's credentials from our systems. And the, the great thing about how this partnership evolved and the way that the technical implementation was done was that U.S. Bank and Plaid's teams got together and said, what is the right experience for people? What do we want to do to ensure that the consumer is very much at the center? And what we decided to do was, was not break their experience. I mean, people know where they've permissioned their data through U.S. Bank service as well as Plaid's. They have decided to keep those connections live. We don't want to break those connections for people. And so we enabled a backend token exchange to keep the user experience consistent and delightful and live, just like they expect it to be. And as we continue to go forward in this environment where everything is digital, that expectation is only going to continue to grow. So it's on us to ensure that people can have the delightful experiences that they've come to expect from the way that FinTech has evolved, especially over the last year. One of the things I find particularly interesting, if we look at you know the 
open banking, the capital O, capital B, John, to your point about open finance and open banking, you know, there's so much embedded in this, but we think about kind of the genesis and it started actually with regulation in Europe, but you're coming at it from the opposite and saying, you know, not that regulation isn't important. This is a customer driven initiative, you know, for you. And I'd love to unpack some of the genesis of that, that as you looked at this, how do we actually empower those experiences, not break the experiences? And it actually is customer driven is, you know, getting us to the same result that, um, you know, it really took the FCA and the EU pushing, you know, across the pond. Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm happy to take some of that. So, I mean, this actually started like many of the, so we've got a terrific innovation function at US Bank. And uh, this was Dominic's now the chief digital officer, but when he was running the innovation team, and if I went back kind of two, two and a half years ago, um, like many of the things like our voice assistant or, uh, you know, uh, some of our AI driven stuff, uh, has come out of our innovation shop. And this was something that the innovation team really thought, you know, we, we need to be embracing open banking. And, and as you say, right, there's many different uh, labels that you can put on it, uh, all, all which means slightly different things. Um, so, um, you know, we saw it from uh, really from a two, two perspectives, really. One is customer need and one is the, the business opportunity as well. Um, because I think, first of all, customers and, and you know, uh, customers are, uh, increasingly um, requiring access to their data, but also the way that um, uh, the world is going to work is going to be much more API driven. And whether that is a, you know, just, I mean, even our existing clients and a B, from a B2B perspective are looking for, uh, you know, they're not looking for us to give them a screen to do an ACH transfer on, for example, they're looking for us to give them an API. Um, and that's that's one type of relationship. Another type of relationship, of course, is just being truly open and allowing uh, and, uh, companies to come and and, uh, and access services directly. Um, so this is uh, something we see as de definitely uh, both a customer need and an opportunity uh, as as the banking system evolves and as, as finance opens up. Um, and I think you know when we approach this to start with. Um, you know, data sharing and uh, partnerships with uh, Plaid and others was really the uh, the logical starting point because um, you know in these early days, um, uh, financial access uh, powered by you know Plaid um, and the fact they have four and a half thousand um, uh, companies that are accessing through uh, through them gives great insight into the role that um, data aggregation plays and also. Um, you know, the huge demand that there is for the amount of businesses that are starting up based on this model. And so we deliberately prioritized um, the data sharing aspect of open banking for the last couple of years and really wanted to kind of nail that down and, and, and enable that for customers and also get our open banking systems and processes in place for that. And we're also extremely excited about the next phase, which I think is going to be uh, very payments driven. And, um, you know, there's lots of uh, great innovation and in, in, uh, embedded finance uh, from a payments perspective uh, that we're looking forward to as well. But really view sort of data sharing as the very core foundational part of this. It's hard to think about how you're going to get anything else right if you haven't got something as basic as a secure uh, exchange of information um, uh, before you start going any further. Yeah, we saw on the uh, Worldwide Developer Conference that that Apple ran uh, this week. Um, you know, we saw an increased focus on on privacy. But um, you know, Gareth, from your perspective, um, you know, does does US Bank get a lot of 
inbound customer requests or um, demands around privacy and data sharing? Or are you, you know, in your experience, are consumers mostly oblivious about what's happening with their data? Well, I mean, we don't get that many requests. I mean, they're there, of course, but it's not something that is like a, you know, huge volume, top of mind type thing. I think it goes back to what I was saying earlier in the call. I think this is, you know, until something bad happens, I think people just expect that you're taking good care. And that's kind of what we're doing here is is um, prioritizing um, you know, getting to a point where, you know, we've got this great and um, sort of uh, industry-leading effort that uh, Ginger was explaining, kind of a first in terms of how we've synced up the data and, and the fact that we've deleted the credentials. Uh, because really, above all else, that, that's what we view as most important. It's just to kind of get out the way all of the security stuff, because I really think the customers just expect that we're going to do that for them. Um, and and so that, that's what we wanted to prioritize. Um, but I think, you know, like anything, um, it, it probably takes events where, you know, your identity is stolen or something, and that's when it becomes very much front of mind uh, that, uh, that something's happened somewhere. But very difficult to trace all these things back to their original origins, of course, right? And, and uh, so I think, you know, we just want to play the best role we can play in keeping everything safe and secure. Like sometimes this but, is done done with good intent, um, you know, like the 90-day rule that the FCA created around, uh, you know, access to third-party apps and the open banking stuff. And yet, um, you know, they found out pretty quickly that actually it didn't work because, you know, customers didn't want that workload every 90 days of renewing their, you know, um, access to an aggregation platform as an example. Um, So I think while that was done with the best intentions by the, uh, you know, the the FCA, the Financial Conduct Authority, um, it, it turned out to be a burden on customers. So I think that's the thing that, uh, you know, obviously we'll get to a point where AI will manage this for us at some point, hopefully, you know, our smart bank account, right? Um, um, But, uh, you know, I I do think there's potential there for us to sort of overdo regulation in this arena. The point you were making earlier, I think, is a good point as well, and very much linked to this, which is, you know, at some point this will be an unmanageable amount of information seemingly exactly. for customers, yeah, right? Exactly. But, but if you go back to like if you go back to kind of like the last iteration of digital, which did mobile apps and things and websites and things like that. I mean when I think back to you know, mobile apps 10 years ago could do like three or four things. Um, and it was a big innovation when you could deposit your check. I think that the US Bank mobile app can do like 350 things now or something. You know, there's like a, there's a huge, enormous amount. And I have always thought about like, how do you present, how can a customer possibly navigate to the 350th thing? And, um, you know, so I think as we think about uh, all of these things, I think are really interesting challenges for kind of information architecture to, to coin a kind of, uh, uh, a phrase, um, and I think things like AI and and voice enablement uh, will will help customers cut through the clutter. But I think that that I see the challenge of having this volume of information to manage with where all your data is in a kind of similar way to the enormous amount of functions and features that one has in uh, uh, the uh, um, in, in mobile apps and websites. I think that the advances of design, navigation, and then technologies like AI and, and voice assistance um, will help all of these things, including keeping a track of all of your data, to your point. So I had one more thing to add, if, if you don't mind, on, onto this point, because I think that customers' sense of confidence and how banks manage their data is extremely important. And I think that it, it it's our job as Plaid to help ensure that that 
financial account can remain the center and the hub of that person's financial life so that the other tools that they want to use, whether or not that's within the 350 things that the U.S. Bank app can do or whether or not it's through another provider, can be facilitated through that sharing of data of their U.S. Bank account. And so the easier we can get at sharing that information out and enabling consumers to have a really slick and seamless experience with the tools that they want to avail themselves of while ensuring that they have that sense of confidence that U.S. Bank is taking care of them, like that's where you really hit the sweet spot because people feel like they're enabled and they're empowered, yet they don't need to, to change, right? Right? Like U.S. Bank is taking care of them and enabling them to do all the things they want to. I'm curious, in all this enablement and everything that Gareth outlined in terms of like over 300 things you can do, Ginger, from your perspective, how do you even begin to get your head around supporting that, right? Like this ever escalating, like I do not envy being in charge of platform that has to support where all of this is going and at the same time being able to say and in the future we might have to be able to you know expunge the data or change the features how do you approach that yeah it's a great question and it's all about understanding what are the capabilities and requirements that each of the institutions with whom we work have and are prioritizing and then how do we ensure that the platform that we're building has these components embedded in it, not as one-off solutions for each individual integration that we're working on, but as a platform component that can be availed to any of our partners. And so when at Plaid, we think about you know, these connections with the industry in a couple of different ways. Um, sometimes, as in the case of U.S. Bank, um, we work with U.S. Bank's infrastructure and APIs that they've developed, but we may augment that technology with some features and capabilities that we've put together to ensure that we've got that consumer experience top of mind. Um, and other search, search circumstances, um, we have created Plat Exchange, which is a platform for financial institutions that may not have the resources that they need to build APIs themselves. And so in conjunction with the industry and a lot of the good work that John does with FDX, we understand like what are the core things that need to be included in these kinds of pl platform capabilities and then prioritize the things that we build like Plat Exchange in conjunction with what FDX is also putting together for the industry so that we're enabling others to take advantage of the way that this technology is evolving. And then in the third instances, it's often a little bit of a mismatch, I mean, a mix, mix and match where the financial institution may have created some capabilities, but we will also provide some as well and then partner to put something together that um, enables us to move to an API-based ecosystem and delete credentials more quickly. Fantastic. Thanks, Ginger. Well, listen, uh, guys, we need to take a quick break and uh, we'll be back uh, talking more about open banking and how consumers are reacting to the need for more control over their finances, contextual credit. We might even get into some buy now, pay later stuff and things like that, talking about that contextually. But stay tuned with us. You're listening to Breaking Banks. We're talking with Plaid and US Bank about uh, secure open finance. We'll be right back after this break. Since we focus on how banking and finance are transforming, I'd like to talk to you about three letters, F-I-S. From local shops to global banks, FIS is evolving commerce and helping businesses and banks transform in a digital world. FIS moves $8.1 trillion annually. It serves over 90% of the world's largest private equity firms, 60% of the world's largest merchants, and 90% of the world's most innovative banks. They have the unmatched expertise needed to advance your business. Want to find out more? Head to fisglobal.com slash realnet. That's F-I-S-G-L-O-B-A-L dot com slash real net. 
Today's Breaking Banks podcast is brought to you by Plaid. More consumers than ever before are relying on digital finance for their everyday lives. As financial institutions, we know you want to meet your customers where they are and support safe and reliable experiences, especially when it comes to managing their money. That's why Plaid built Plaid Exchange, a customizable API solution that helps support your data access needs. Plaid Exchange makes it easy for financial institutions of all shapes and sizes to give users reliable and secure access to their financial data. And best of all, with Plaid Exchange, you can have peace of mind knowing that Plaid's industry expertise and security technology guarantees your customers are safe and secure. To learn more about Plaid Exchange, reach out to one of our experts at plaid.com slash plaid dash exchange. That's plaid.com slash plaid dash exchange. Welcome back to Breaking Banks, the number one global fintech podcast and radio show. We are back with Plaid and the team at uh, US Bank. Well, when I say team, Gareth uh, Gaston <laughs> is, is one of the team at, at US Bank. So um, I, I maybe ask you guys this. Uh, obviously, the pandemic has seen acceleration in digitization, um, but you know we, we do have changing user behavior behavior here, um, are consumers um, more in tune with their rights in terms of data access um, and, you know, is like in terms of consumer creditworthiness and and, uh, financial behavior and things like that, do you see generally more consumer demand coming for open banking and the, the possibilities it provides? Who wants to jump in on that one? John? Yeah, I could, I oh, can, Ginger. Ginger, I you can go first. I can jump in with a couple of fun data points, you know, because it's always good to, to ground our conversations in, in data. Um, but a survey we did last year at Plaid said that, you know, 73% of respondents um, plan to just continue managing all of their money through uh, digital tools as opposed to, you know, in branch locations and, and physical places. Um, and that 14 million U.S. citizens consider digital banking to now be their only form of money management. And so that is a broad thing, right? That's not just about checking and savings. That is, how do I manage my financial life? And And people's financial lives are quite diverse, right? Everything from um, sending payroll information to looking for credit and lending opportunities to purchases and payments to you know savings and balancing and personal financial management. So it goes on and on and on. And I think the um, the the thing that we've definitely seen over the course of the last twelve to eighteen months is that digital is here to stay. And we probably jumped five years ahead in this past year. Um, and that's exciting. I, I think that's really exciting for a lot of us. But per the question just before the break, um, you know, we, we've got a lot to build in order to manage how this industry is going to scale. Yeah. Yeah, I think what we see from, our, from a bank's perspective and from US Bank specifically is, uh, first, I think all tides are rising really from a digital engagement perspective. So, you know, um, I think, first of all, um, we do see, uh, you know, huge increase in use of um, external third-party digital solutions, and that you can see through the proxy of how many of our customers are going through a service like Plaid. And it's about half. It's about half of our digitally active customers now are uh, are using some form of external service, which is definitely a lot more than it was, you know, a few years ago, and that continues to grow. Equally, though, and I think this is really important, it's not 
an and or, which uh, of course was sometimes the fear that you know um, people would start using external services and and the bank wouldn't uh, wouldn't get its um, uh, wouldn't keep its engagement with customers. But actually, we see the opposite being true. Customers are becoming more engaged with third-party services, and they're becoming far more engaged with. Uh, uh, with uh, with our digital um, tools and, and capabilities as well, and some of that is because you know it's important that you keep innovating with the digital tools and experiences that you have. So you know we've continued to innovate in the basic things like mobile check deposit, and the usage of mobile check deposit has never been higher. Um, and uh, and then you know creating things like AI driven insights that keep the customer coming back to see like what can they learn from the uh, uh, the, the the information that they've. Um, uh, that they have in their accounts um, about their spending patterns and um, Gareth, um, about their financial life. So I think that you know uh, we're seeing huge engagement uh, from customers on both fronts. Gareth, just before we continue, just for the millennials and the Gen Zs and the alphas listening to Breaking Banks, could you explain what a check is? <laughs> I was going to say, this sounds like you're about to make me sound old or something. Um, of course, I come from a country where we don't have these things, so I had to learn what checks were when I came here. Um, so, yeah, it's a check is a, an amazing piece of paper that is, has the uh, potential to have the same value as a, uh, that, that uh, uh, digital thing that you sent over Zelle. <laughs> That's my best description for a check. Well, now they're going to say, what is a Zelle? You mean a Venmo? Oh, they're not. Yeah, Everyone Venmo. Knows Zelle is. Yes, yeah. Everyone knows who Zelle is. <laughs> you, I think if Brett, I may have told you this story before, but I'm going to tell it again because it's my favorite one. So, you know, I, I worked at, um, at Square for a number of years and was very involved in the development of the payment rails for Cash App and have been a huge proponent of trying to get my family to switch to Cash App because that was the product I was working on and I thought that that was the right thing to do. And so my parents would just never use it. And I would send them money if they took the kids out to lunch or they bought the kids something, I'd try to pay them back on Cash App and they just couldn't. They just couldn't get behind it. And then this year, because of the pandemic, because not a, not because of convenience, but because they needed to actually protect their physical health, my parents started using Zelle. And it was such a it was such a big deal, you know? And I actually think it was through US Bank, Gareth, I'm not sure. But awesome. um, you know, happy to hear the, that. <laughs> it was like, the, I don't know if it was the pandemic that finally, um, you know, broke not just the younger generations, but the older generations as well, um, who are now using these digital tools. It was fun to see. You know, I have a funny story related to that, Ginger, that will take us in the next direction. I was working with a community bank board, let's just say it was one of the oldest boards I've ever worked with. And the question was raised, you know, under the guise of there's no such thing as a bad question. And uh, one of the women on the board goes, so if I use that Venmo thing, is the mafia going to steal all my money? Like immediately, like it was a valid concern. Like this is what she believed to be true. And I explained to you how it worked and you know why it was secure and stuff. And she goes, yeah, you know, my grandkids do that Venmo thing. And so we set it up on break, set up actual Venmo for her. And she had the kid's cell phones number and it was right before the holidays. And so they were in finals. So she sent each one of the kids like $5 in the coffee emoji, right? And the next time I saw her at a future board meeting, she was so excited. She said, I send those grandkids like a hundred bucks. I don't even get a thank you note. I sent them $5 and they sent me all of these emojis, you know, back. Right. And she goes, so now actually the women that I retired women, I do lunch with, we use Venmo when we go out to lunch to split the bill. Right. And you know, not only I think it's a funny story to relate to kind of when that adoption curve happens, but you know, there's something very true about this when we get into the open finance realm, that part of this is going to be experiential and what it's going to unlock 
for people and that level of engagement. And Gareth, I, I'd love if you have any stories related to how that engagement has really worked because that's counterintuitive. You know, so many of the traditional banks in the U.S. have been so afraid of the capital O, capital B banking coming to the U.S. You know, if it were going to happen here, does that shift the power to the you know the the startups? Right? You know, like it's unfair. You know, we've built this up. How has it played out for you to be a, a great business engagement tool? You mean from uh, from engaging with open banking? You mean yeah. yeah. So I mean, with your with the customers, you know, you, you said that engagement's actually up. That by working with third parties, yeah. you know, the, you're not driving people out of the bank. Actually, opening the doors brought more people, you know, into the bank. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think you know, as I say, I think it's it's got to be a sustained effort on on both fronts because. If you only engaged in open banking, then then you would you would definitely drive more engagement off of your brand and on your brand. Um, I think what we have is a is a uh, an, I wouldn't even call it balance because I think we're going kind of all in on on both perspectives. We want to provide a, a very rich experience in our own branded uh, tools, and we want to also fully enable the customer where they want to be. And uh, we also, as well, allow the customer. You know, we're like you know, we're we're a data recipient too because we also engage in uh, aggregating, uh, allowing the customer to bring in their bank accounts from other banks and present that. Uh, on the U.S. bank uh, uh, digital experience as well, uh, and also apply some of the analysis that we have um, to their external accounts also. So, you know, so I think I think the key is actually um, engaging with the customer wherever they choose to be and making that experience as as good as possible. So uh, that's really been our approach, um, and and so it's with that kind of mentality that means that we can fully embrace it and not really be afraid of it. I think because you know we feel really good that we're providing. Uh, amazing digital tools, so we feel very confident that we can embrace and open up and and uh, uh, and make sure our customers can do what they want to do externally as well. So, don't really view it as a an either or. I also think very early on we just viewed it as something that's going to happen rather than something we should resist, if you like. You know, so I think it then became. You know, uh, when I go back to that genesis that uh, Dominic and team had around uh, embracing open banking two and a half years ago and then bringing that uh, to full uh, full circle to becoming a reality. And linking it back to the conversation we're having today, we're extremely grateful for the partnership with Plaid because I think what we what we came to with a very pragmatic um, uh, joint view around the customer um, enabled us to break some barriers that perhaps some other banks were would, would be a bit more reticent to break. Um, and because it's all in service of empowering the customer and, and keeping everyone safe and secure, um, I think I, I personally find that quite liberating because you're doing at the end of the day, the right thing for the customer, um, but not compromising the, the sort of safety and security standards as well. So I think that, as I say, the key is to be uh, to try and be as good as you can be on all fronts, and then you don't have to be afraid of what will happen uh, when you embrace the uh, the open stuff. This 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 obviously leads to a really interesting conversation on partnerships. And John, I, I know you've got a, a point here, but. Um, Gareth, my question probably is around the fact that, um, you know, with all of this data and, and with the Plaid relationship now, um, US Bank can see or at least a lot, determine a lot more the behavioral elements of finance, when and where people are inquiring about their balance or need information on access to credit and so forth. So, um, the, the you know, we're seeing uh, by now pay later and all of these other things emerge as ways to contextualize banking, as you say, when and where they need it. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, 
but the potential for that is that these new products that we might create based on this data may not be the products we're used to delivering. They may have the same utility, um, you know, like buy now, pay later instead of a credit card or an overdraft, mm -hmm. as an example. So yep. how is this leading U.S. Bank down that path? And then, um, you know, where do players like Plaid come into that is, is sort of the second piece of that. But, you know, in terms of building out these these experiences you're talking about when the customer needs them, you know, how's that yeah. changed the design thinking internally? Yeah, so I think I, I think you're absolutely spot on. Um, I think that the so I think that there's probably a few different waves of this. I think the first wave that we embraced, so uh, in in terms of you know this new amount of data and also the ability to have AI applied to data, um, that that I would say the first wave of change that we applied there was uh, our our insights that we drive through our app, and we were pretty much the first. Um, of the uh, of, of um, any bank really to start delivering insights at scale, and we deliver hundreds of millions of these things to our customers um, um, uh, all the time. So, um, so I think that was the first big wave of change is to is to help the customer be more informed about their financial life. Right, it's kind of living the dream. I think you've mentioned this in some of your books. Right, that we, banks have access to all of this information about customers and generally uh, don't don't do much with it, and it's not about what we do with it for ourselves. It's about how we visualize that and give really meaningful and useful insights to customers so that they can take action and do something different uh, with their financial life, whether that is information about credit or whether that's information about spending patterns or whether that's information about, um, you know, um, you know, even useful things like, hey, two transactions with the same things, are you sure that those are both uh, legitimate? So. Um, so that the first big wave, I think, for us was about uh, providing those those insights, um, and then I think the next thing after that is uh, um, how do we think? Well, obviously, the, the next thing was uh, creating these data sharing agreements and, and empowering customers to do this uh, off of us as well as on us. And then I think the third thing is also uh, the third wave. I think is embracing some of those services. So whilst we haven't brought some of this to market, we know that customers want to embed these services because that's why they're going to third parties. So it's not a stretch to think, well, how can we, especially I would say in the context of a small business customer, how can you take some of the things that they want that they need to run their business and embed that into their banking uh, relationship as well? So it's not just about embedding banking somewhere else. It's about embedding other things into your banking experience too. And then the fourth thing I would say to your point is, um, what are the opportunities for new products and services? And, you know, we've got initiatives and some of the things that you mentioned earlier uh, that, we, that we plan to bring to market. So so I think, you know, AI-driven insights, uh, data sharing and enablement, um, 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 looking at open banking uh, for us as a consumer of open banking or open finance, and then finally products uh, informing product development, I would say are the, the four ways we're thinking about that. Quick question related to this is uh, Brian teed up the, the partnership question. So, Gareth, it sounds like this you know, started with Dominic's team at US Bank. And this is a big, bold, kind of crazy idea of this. Hey, let's go, you know, do this secure open finance, be able to go do this. You just did you naturally go? Let's just pick up the phone and call Plaid and see what they do. But what's the genesis like? And you know, from the flip side, Ginger and John, I'm curious what you know your first response was like. You know, is it like are you guys nuts? Like, can we start a little bit smaller, do something a little bit easier? How did that partnership come together? 
Well, I think, I mean, first of all, Plaid was a, a, a great place to start because they're uh, one of the largest uh, or the largest player um, in terms of the volume of customers. Um, so they were, uh, you know, uh, a really obvious place to start. Um, I will say that, um, and, you know, uh, this is uh, meant to, to really accentuate the positiveness of the great relationship that we've had. It was a really difficult conversation to start with, right? Because neither of us really, uh, this was uncharted territory for both of us. So it was initially unclear how, you know, what each of our motivations were and, and, and how, um, what, what each of us actually wanted out of it. And, you know, I think the thing that's been really refreshing and galvanizing is that we both all of a sudden discovered one day that we had the shared interests of the customer at heart. And when we actually took a step back and stopped talking about, you know, what the bank wanted or what Plaid wanted and we, and we focused on the customer, we realized that actually what, when we thought about it through the customer's lens, that was kind of what was best for both of us as well. So the partnership became um, a lot easier from that point. And, you know, we, we, I think we both probably made compromises along the way, um, you know, the way we connect is probably not what some banks would say is the ideal way of connecting. Um, but actually, you know, when you're when you take a step back and think about actually what's really important here, what's really important here is that customers have access to their data in a safe and secure manner and that they have transparency over the information. If you can really ground yourself in um, in that belief, um, then it helps you to remove a lot of the obstacles and barriers. So it's been, you know, uh, an absolute pleasure and delight to to kind of get to this point with Plaid and to really work through what were, uh, you know, as you as you alluded to there, uh, there were some really difficult and uh, uh, challenging conversations because there's a lot of new ground that's been broken here. But I think really testament to, you know, two very motivated parties that want to do the best thing for the customer coming together to make it happen. And yeah, just I'll add to that point, Gareth. I mean, I think this kind of close collaboration, you know, the relationship between Platt and, and U.S. Bank is, is a real prime example of what we're going to need to see more of in the industry as we Agreed. help open banking to to grow and, and flourish and, and open finance to, to evolve. Um, and so I, I would agree with many of the things that Gareth said. I think starting from the first principles is really what got this relationship to be so successful. There was no argument that we all wanted to have a secure experience for U.S. bank account holders. There was no argument that we wanted U.S. bank account holders to have an amazing experience. And so once you start prioritizing based on those principles, you still have to work out some of the how. And sure, maybe we had had technology built to do some to do A and we decided to do B instead. But those things are much easier to invest in and resource when you can tie them back to the overall vision of a secure and transparent ecosystem with the consumer at the center. And that's what U.S. Bank and Plaid were really able to achieve. And I draw a contrast there, Ginger, Jason, to go back to a question you asked right before break, right? About, oh, in Europe, you've got this regulation and, you know, how are you managing this without the regulation in the U.S.? And the answer is um, the regulation is, is helpful in Europe, but it's also, let's take the U.K. particularly, written from a what is good for certain businesses versus other businesses perspective, as opposed to the consumer perspective, right? So yeah. in Europe, you are either a bank, an ASPSP, that's a data source, or you are a TPP that's a data recipient and never the twain shall meet. And Gareth just said something really, really important five minutes ago, right? Which is US bank is a data source and a data consumer. The platform of open finance is more valuable to them because they are using the data to make better consumer experiences that allows you to have that consumer as the goal. And that's a really different approach to open finance than I think some of the regulations in Europe have. It's something I think that 
with the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau driving the bus in the US, right? It's about the consumer's data access, right? So I think we're going to have even better regulations in the US, but I think it's going to require a lot of market innovation by companies like Plaid and US Bank that have that shared consumer objective as the core of why open finance to really get us to that place where that regulation can then add the most value, create the most valuable platform, and really return the true consumer benefits of open finance to their maximum level. I think regulating in Europe as well is is perhaps a little more straightforward because the number of players in any particular country is dramatically smaller than the 6,000 odd that you have in uh, in the US market, all with varying degrees of maturity. Yeah, and I think to build on Gareth's point, I mean, this partnership with US Bank and Plaid is, is really a milestone, right, in our overall journey towards open finance as an industry uh, and as partners. Um, It's been exciting for us as Plaid to hear the feedback from other financial institution partners after they saw the work that we had done with U.S. Bank as an example of what we can all achieve together when we put that consumer at the center and um, and build our solutions with that as the foundation. So this is just one step forward, um, and we'll be working with um, U.S. Bank on other types of partnerships and opportunities in the future. Just to echo, I, I think this is a, it's been a, it's a terrific partnership, and um, I'm really thrilled that uh, we've been able to enable our customers to uh, access their information in a very transparent way. To your point, um, I think this is just the beginning of um, uh, what all of this open banking stuff is all about, which is you know a uh, enabling our customers to have access to information, but more now. What, what can they do with that and what other services can U.S. Bank and Plaid offer to uh, to these third parties and to customers uh, that will really power their financial lives? So I think we're, we're just at the beginning of a very exciting journey and, and the next phase of banking. I'm mindful we've only got a couple of minutes left, Gareth, but just, um, you know, I, it, it, my experience as a fintech working with banks is generally that the partnership element of these relationships starts with the procurement department, which is, you know, exactly the wrong way to handle these types of partnerships. So how has your partnership capability developed at US Bank as a result of, you know, partnerships like this? Yeah, and I think it's developed and developing because I think that, as you say, it's fundamentally a mind shift here, which is, you know, there's a few things that have to change. One is uh, recognizing that the product that you're selling isn't actually a financial product, it's an API technology solution. And so there's a mindset shift um, and also a skill set shift in, uh, what it is you're selling and how you're selling it. There's also a different audience. Um, so whilst there are the traditional businesses that were your customers that you would know, there's now a whole different category of customers that are coming to ask for these technology products um, as well. Um, and then finally, you know, you have to kind of take another think about the processes and the way you engage. So to your point, not just about uh, don't start with procurement, but also the expectation being a technology-driven solution is that you can get up and running and be working within uh, minutes, not within months. Um, so there's a lot uh, to get your head around as you think about gearing up to uh, uh, compete in this new way. Well, exciting to see where all of this can begin to go. I think we're going to have to have this crew back on you know, six months to a year from now to see both how the partnership has flourished, but all the amazing things that have come out of it, even the ones that couldn't be foreseen. So thank you, uh, folks from Plaid to Gareth at US Bank, Ginger and uh, John. That's a wrap for this week's Breaking Banks. You can hear us at all of your major podcast stations or check it out at provoke.fm.
That's it for this week. If you like the show, make sure to give us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform or share it with a friend or share it on social media. We'll see you again next week with more Breaking Banks.